welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Thank you again for uh, coming. My name is Father Ryan Betway, and I'm excited to, uh, to share with you uh, our homily today. Uh, please pray with me as we begin. Pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Bless the thoughts of my heart, the meditation of my heart that it may be glorifying to you and acceptable in your sight. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're continuing our sermon series on neighborhoods and nations. And uh, today we're going to be focusing on uh, the scripture readings from Jeremiah 17. And it's fitting that we are a plant in Springfield. It's a very simple message. Or plant in a field by a spring. It's really that easy. We can just go home now. But there's one problem. I actually had it that simple until yesterday afternoon because uh, what I what I uh, what I learned in researching our our passage for today and researching uh, a lot of the. A lot of the interesting history of the name of Springfield was that Springfield derived its name originally from the streams, most of which related back to the Potomac River and the Chesapeake Bay and on into the Atlantic Ocean, as you know. But a lot of the streams that came into this region originated in Springfield is what a lot of the history communicated to me that I read. Interestingly, uh, back when, uh, back before Europeans came to settle the land, the, the natives used, uh, Native Americans used these streams for uh, moving their, uh, moving and, uh, for transportation. They used it for food. They used it for, uh, for settling next to in order to be able to have close access. So this land, uh, of Springfield, current day, was very rich for that purpose. And as the Europeans came and settled that land, the, a lot of the early settlements were logically found in these exact areas near these streams which were abundant, including the Yakutink Creek and the Bear Creek and Bear Branch and Long Branch, and all of which found their origins in this area called Springfield. There was one problem, though. I kept looking at these creeks. I kept looking at these branches of water, these bodies of water, and following them along. And they don't originate in Springfield, what I found. They, they were, uh, it was very confusing. I looked at a lot of the maps that I, uh, a lot of the maps that I was looking at had Springfield a lot further north than where we are now. 
which was really confusing for me. So you'll even see that in uh, one of the maps above me, that Springfield is further north and uh, a little bit further east than I expected to find it. And so what I was, what I was confused by is, well, if, if Springfield as we know it now, where we currently sit, um, was different, like what, what happened there? Why was there a different Springfield? And uh, lo and behold, over the course of settling as a nation as a, um, we, before we had moved and divided into counties uh, the, the entire region upon which we, we currently sit all the way west to uh, around Vienna all the way north to McLean all the way east to Alexandria and really south about to where we are, but not quite encompassing where we are. All of that area was referred to as Springfield, broadly speaking. And modern-day Annandale, Vienna, and Falls Church were there. Uh, Arlington Heights was far to the east, the northeast. Uh, and Alexandria, as we would know it now, was there as well. But I was still confused if this whole region was called Springfield. Why wasn't Springfield today a part of that region? Lo and behold, it's it's far, frankly, I found it far less interesting and compelling as an illustration, at least at first, and it really ruined my thesis, that Springfield as we know it was named after a farm that, uh, that Henry Dangerfield bought, a huge plot of land, and he thought it was within shouting distance of what was then known as Springfield and decided to call Springfield as such. And so uh, as the, the region continued to grow and specialize in places were named more specifically as neighborhoods or cities uh, around them, Springfield as we know it today finally officially derived its name, deriving its name originally from the larger region uh, is now the, uh, the city, the locality that we know it as today. So. If we're not Springfield, if we're not the place from which the spring originates, here's the problem. One, as I said, it ruins my point that we're a plant in a field by the spring. But it actually, what I, what I, what I realized as I was pressing into this is, is it actually is perfect because it's not quite what Jeremiah is communicating here in this passage. And, and, and I think... I think I really love prophetically what, what God at least communicated to my heart. And I think what he's communicating to us as a plant in a field by the spring, that we, are, we still are that. And that, in fact, what we are is, uh, is, a, is a plant that is called to, to recognize the trustworthiness of our Lord as we press into and lodge ourselves and reach out to the streams close by. So if you look with me at our passage of Jeremiah, you'll notice two things right away. This illustration that he makes of blessing, those who are blessed and those who are cursed. I'm going to look first at, essentially the, the question I want to answer today is what's required to gain the blessing of God? What, what are we how do we get that blessing? Well, the first is, of course, to not be the cursed. So what does it mean to be the cursed one? 
frankly, it, it, the cursed one is the, the one who trusts in man. You'll notice uh, essentially the, the cursed is those who are trusting in man, putting their, their faith in the strength of man. And their hearts turn away from the Lord. They communicate this again in uh, verse 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things. The nature of man's heart in the, in the core of who we are. Jeremiah is communicating was, is deceitful and twisted and prone to give ourselves over to the temptation that is common to all of us. And indeed, common to all the people of Judea and Jerusalem to whom Jeremiah was called to preach. What is sin? Sin is that which turns us away from God. As the Apostle Paul communicates, we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. Death. Not merely sick, as it communicates here, desperately sick, but dead, in fact, in our trespasses and in our sins. So the question is, how does God respond to our sin? Does he merely curse? Does he merely leave us in that desperate state? In the sense that God is opposed to all of sin, for he is righteous, and therefore all of sin is condemned by God. Yes, he does. He curses. He pours out that condemnation on sin. And yet, God's response is not merely that, but that he has in his nature the mercy that he offers and the forgiveness of sin and salvation for sin through his son, Jesus Christ. And now this obedience that we're called to live in is impossible without the grace of God, without his power working itself in us. We're not able to obey God. We're not able to experience the life he's called us to live. And so what what we're called to do is to turn away from that sin. As an amateur gardener when I was in college, my next-door neighbor, uh, who was a 90-year-old woman named Gracie Reynolds, uh, she asked me to uh, come over and help her her, uh, with planting some new flowers. And she was trying to put them into her yard, and she was pulling out the weeds. And so I came over and I helped her. The problem was, as as I was pulling them, the... The weeds, I realized, weren't just, any of you who have ever done this will sympathize. It, I would pull them and it would, a root would come up and what I realized was that root was related to another root over here. And so I'd pull it and it was this long, long line. I was like, man, this one's going to be tough. And what I realized was that one was pulled, we had to go around the fence, all the way around. This, uh, uh, this area of the garden was about as big as this room that she was trying to... Uh, plant these flowers in. What I thought was going to be a a one or two hour project ended up being two weeks worth of digging and tilling and pouring uh, time and energy and sweat that I I didn't really have because I was supposed to be studying. But nonetheless, two weeks worth of, I, I kid you not, 12 
trash bags full, 12 trash bags full of weeds that we pulled up from this plot of land. This is the nature of the corrupted heart, the deceitful heart. The deceitful heart that Jeremiah here communicates turns away from the Lord. We cannot merely take a plant. You'll notice in this passage, it's the plant. We can't just take that shrub in the desert, pull it out, and put it near a stream. There's many reasons why. Because you'll notice that the blessing is for those for a very different plant. In fact, what I would say is a transformed plant. It's a tree planted by the stream. In verse 7, we see, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. A tree planted by the stream. Notice the intention behind the blessing of God. It is planted. The tree is planted. It is as foolish as it is to be a plant in the desert. As foolish as it is to have your heart deceived to live in the deception of your heart. So it would be foolish to be a fruit-bearing tree that's never planted in a place where it can grow. That is to say, it would be foolish to uproot all of that, those weeds in the garden and never plant anything there. It would be foolish for us to turn away from the sin of our own hearts and not live into the holy life that God calls us to live as Christian people. We experience that type of uncommon transformation our church desires when we entrust ourselves to God in both ordinary and extraordinary ways. We entrust ourselves to God in coming here in experiencing the steady stream of Sunday worship to sustain us in our weeks, offering God thanksgiving and praise, the solid provision of sacrament of communion that feeds us the spiritual fruits that we bear, and the fellowship with Christ's church to support the good growth of obedience to God necessary for that true transformation to take root in the way it's meant to. And notice also that that tree, as we see in verse 8, is meant to bear fruit. It does not cease to bear fruit. You see, the tree, unlike that fruitless shrub in the desert, it's a fruit-bearing tree. See, under the right circumstances, the tree is it's not merely growing or thriving for its own sake, but it actually bears fruits and does not only bear fruit, but it does not cease to do so even when the circumstances for growth are imperfect. Far from the vines you'd expect from a tree cultivated in a greenhouse, this tree finds flourishing in a time of drought. Jesus calls us to become like 
that tree planted, a plant-bearing tree, a fruit-bearing tree. Christians are ones united with God in Christ, indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit works to cultivate and to flourish our spiritual lives. Indeed, convicting of us of our sin in the first place, when we are living in our sin, cursed, to repent and to turn to him, but indeed to live in such a way as we continue in repentance and rest in the hope of our salvation. As Christian individuals, we continue to bear the fruits of the Spirit's work in our lives. As our Anglican Catechism states, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is the very character of Jesus developing in us through the work of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's a reason Jeremiah says it twice in verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. There's a couple common reactions to this concept of of blessing that you, you might feel or you might experience in that moment when it says that blessed is the man who trusts and, and, the, and the, they're slightly misguided. The first, it, it sounds like God's blessing and prospering is promised to those who trust. Yet what I see in my life, in the lives of those around me, I see suffering. I see, uh, I see myriad manifestations of difficulty, a personal, a generational sin that plagues me and plagues my family and plagues the, uh, the, the, the work of my hands. I don't see prospering. Therefore, I must not be trusting. Or perhaps I am still under the curse, not blessed. Or we, take, we hear that idea of blessing and we think, oh, if I am trusting God, then his desire is to give me temporal blessing of wealth. Or, or uh, what, what we would uh, commonly refer to as the prosperity gospel, the idea that we will prosper in a temporal way, a particular manifestation of temporal blessing will come when we trust God. And we all have have doubts like this or temptations to take the message in that direction at times. That, That perhaps we're not trusting because we see the pain of the world. We see these plagues. We see the hurt. But remember that God's desire is to confirm and strengthen us And there is grace even for this in times of great suffering, great sorrow, and and indeed even in deep-seated distrust. In a way, even the mere desire to trust God more reflects the image of God in you and indeed the presence of the Holy Spirit working in you, growing the desire to live as God's own desire to continually till your soil and meet your needs, let alone the longings of your soul. To free us 
from our captivity to sin, to form us into the character of Jesus Christ himself and confirm his work steadily as we live the sanctifying life Christ's called us each individually and together collectively as his church. Notice the promise of God is not a reprieve from the stifling heat that kills trees and plant life even as their limbs begin budding that fruit or the devastating drought that dries up the land, desperate for rain, devoid of those waterways right next to them. Instead, notice God's promise is to sustain us in times of trial and drought. Just as the tree becomes drenched and steadily served as its roots reach deep and wide to find those abundant springs of water nearby. So the prosperity God offers is one of a confidence, a confidence that he means to build on his own character. He himself is that trust. He is that confidence. He is that fountain of the water of life pouring out. He pours out his love into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we too can love and serve and live that sanctified life of becoming more like Jesus every day. Jesus communicates this dichotomy very clearly in the Beatitudes from this morning's gospel for his kingdom is an upside down kingdom in that sense. Blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now for you shall laugh and blessed are you when people hate you and exclude you and revile you on account of the son of man your reward is great in heaven. Imagine a life so marked by confidence in Christ that we could bear fruit, that we could bear fruit even in time of drought and difficulty, that we could be a plant planted in a field by the spring, maybe a little farther from the spring literally than I thought a couple of days ago. And yet, what God promises is to be that spring for us. Imagine being a well, a life that so, is so consistently cooled by God's spiritual currents that no anxiety about our well-being saps us of our strength, that no disease threatens our bodies and our minds so much that we would think that our faith would be severed, but instead strengthened in our trust in God, that no winds of cultural change could so tear us from this spiritual soil. Such a life and such a church and such a community would require its roots to be squarely planted in the soil Indeed, tilled and steeped in those streams of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. 
Heavenly Father, we pray that you would make us today a plant in the field by the streams that we would see Springfield as a place of refreshment, Lord, a place of nourishment, a, pr- a place of a place of finding our longings met in you. Meet us today as we come to the table, as we come to you in prayer. Meet us in our longings and refresh us in your springs that we may fruitfully bear as you mean for us to, by the power of your Holy Spirit, and in Jesus' name, amen.